Okay, I'm just I'm just going to read uh, some the uh, the scriptures as God gave them this morning, and and you know I, I'll do my what I call my private counsel session every morning with God. So He personally uh, uh, He personally counsels me with His Word, and so I'll just share uh, these uh, scriptures uh, that He counseled me with this morning. And this is, and I'm going to read a few scriptures. This is Romans uh, chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. So it says, therefore, and remember when the therefore here in Romans 5 verse 1, is, it goes back to chapter 4 and back to chapter 3. And it's involving the therefore, really all the way from the first chapter to the fourth chapter, it's, it's, it, that's therefore. That's what it's saying in 5 verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith. That's an amazing statement because what is our new being? Our new being, who we are in Christ, we've made, that God has made us to be in Christ through receiving him as our Savior and then continuing to receive his counsel that continuously delivers us from anything that's not of him. It says, therefore, being. So our being is that we have been justified. And justified means to be cleared of all guilt and condemnation in the courtroom of God's justice. <laughs> so our whole new being is that we are guilt-free. And as a result, what, 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 why would someone be condemned? It's because they were guilty of something. So it says, therefore, being justified or being cleared of all guilt and condemnation, it says, by faith, by complete dependence, what we have in our experience based upon our position is we have peace with God. As far as God's concerned, he is at peace with us. We have, that's what it says, we have peace with God, and of course it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, by whom also we have access, by this faith, this dependence, and when I depend upon him by faith, then that dependence, which is faith, releases grace, wherein it causes us to stand experientially based upon our position. Wherein we stand. And then what? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the hope that we have is Christ in us in Colossians 1 and verse 27. And that's why the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, and he's our apostle through, through that Christ speaks through by the power of the Holy Spirit to us, his church. It says in Romans 14, 22, it says this. Have you faith? Do you have this dependence? Are you depending upon Christ? Well, then have it to yourself. <laughs> You're not relying on someone else for your dependence. It only comes from what Christ has accomplished for each of us as his own individual. So do you have faith? Yes. Well, have it to yourself before God. Why? Because happy is he that condemns not himself and the thing that he allows. So what we allow in terms of failure and sin is that 
a part any longer of who we are and our new being being justified. And it's not. Now, we do, we do deal with those things, but the only way we do is through a confession, and that confession in 1 John 1, 9, it has everything to do with, Christ, with what Christ has accomplished. And that's why it's so important for us as believers to instantly confess sin, to, to instantly. So it doesn't fester, because if it does, then what we can do and what the enemy wants us to do is in Isaiah 30, verse 1, to add sin unto sin. See, if I don't deal with this area of sin, it can be another, it can lead and it will lead to another area of sin. And then, of course, it's first, sin first is a thought, which is iniquity. And the thought that's iniquity is, is the revelation and the manifestation of a will not yet being submitted to the truth that's ours in Christ. He's not yet reigning in our experience the way he is in our position, see? And so then we begin in Psalm 69 and verse 27, and in Romans 6, 19, we begin to add iniquity unto iniquity. That's why we need to deal with our thoughts. Again, and even for any of us, for any of us, and I'm speaking this clearly for myself, that in Proverbs 24 and verse 9, the thought, see, the thought is the thought of foolishness is sin. Sin is foolish. It's, it's foolish in any of us. So, again, it's as happy as he that condemns not himself in that thing that he allows. He that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And what this is referring to is, in Ephesians 2, 8, it says this, you and I are saved by grace. Once, right? We're saved once. That brings out the, the teaching of Jesus in John 13, 7 through 10, when Peter said, you know, finally said, wash my whole body. And he said, no, Christ said, no, once you're forgiven, you don't need to be born again. <laughs> but you do need your feet cleansed because you walk on this earth and there's still the presence of sin which if we don't have our will submitted, can enter into our experience. And then, thank God, we can, when he brings us to this place of confessing it, we can be free in our experience from that sin. But it says here, he that doubts, in Romans 14, 23, is damned if he eat. Now, is God damning us or condemning us now that we're in Christ in Romans 8, 1? No. He that doubts is damned if he eat, because he eats not of what? Faith. He's partaking of something. Something's entering into him and his experience, okay? That is not truly who he is or who she is. For whatsoever is not a faith dependence which releases the reality of who we are in grace, right? Because God only knows us in the grace and truth that Christ is. In John 1, verse 14, he only knows us that way. For whatsoever is not of this dependence what will it lead to if we don't continually depend upon him and submit our will? It's just sin. But is sin who we are in Romans 7, 17 and 20? It isn't. It is not who we are. So this brings us to this particular place here in the scriptures, in, in Titus. So here we are as we tur turn here to the scriptures where we get all of our counsel, thank God, this is where we get all of our counsel from the scriptures. This is God's full thought. Christ is, 
is God's full thought about us, who is the Word in John 1, 1. And this is where we get our counsel. Now, here is Titus, the third chapter in the first verse. This is what it says. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. And these are all those in Romans 13, 1, it says, all the powers that be are ordained of God. Powers there is all those that God even, that he is allowed to be in a place of authority. Because that's what it's really saying. The powers there in Romans 13, verse 1, are those authorities. Okay, and that's what it's speaking. Because then we have the opportunity to be ready unto every good work. And every good work is, is again, Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good. Who's good? God's good, right? So, and to, who is it? To them that love God, submission of the will, and that and what? Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for the good, and the is the Greek article. It's pointing. See this good? God's good. All things work together for the good, right? F- to who? To them that love God and are called according to what? His purpose. His purpose. And what is his purpose? We see that in Romans, from Romans 8, 28. We see from verse 29 in Romans 8 all the way to 39. And look at the beautiful flow of that. But here it says this in verse 2. To speak evil, to be ready unto every good work. So it's, it's every good work in us with the submission of our will so if it's, if it's good, it's God's good working in us because if it's not, and my will isn't submitted, look what it says in verse 2, to speak evil of no man. See? To speak evil of no man. This is a thought life. This is the thought life. To be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all, unto all men. What is the need here that's being brought up? This is the need for the yoke that we need. And this is submission of our will. We need a yoke in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And it's brought out clearly in 11, 28, 29 of Matthew, in Romans 11, 28 to 30. But in, in, in Matthew 11, I say, keep saying Romans, it's Matthew 11 at 28. We need the yoke. And that yoke is for each one of us. God has designed a particular yoke for our will in in Matthew 11, verse 29. And the need for the yoke is that the gentleness and the love of God, which only good is, is involved in, flows in us. Otherwise, all we have, all we can do is speak what's entered into our mind in the thought life. It's either God's good or evil. Verse 3 says, For we ourselves also were sometime what? Foolish. We functioned with our own will. In Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, we were foolish. And the fool, in, in Psalm 14, verse 1, and Psalm 53, verse 1, the fool has said in his mind, based upon his thought life, No, God. No. Not your will, mine. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 26. Uh, 39 and 41 in the greatest trial in in the Garden of Gethsemane when all the atmosphere was pressurizing him to keep him from going to the cross to glorify his father, to propitiate him and to be a substitute where he could reconcile us. 
he said, not my will, but yours be done. But we were fo- at, at sometimes we were foolish. Sometimes we were disobedient. Sometimes at, in our past life we were deceived. We were serving all kinds of lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But separated from that, being in Christ, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Father, our Savior, toward man appeared. Listen to what it says. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. Because those works can only proceed from evil. Because the work that only God would accomplish and did accomplish was through his Son, and that's what good is. (laughs) There's only good. And that's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 and verse 17, in Luke 18 and verse, uh, verse 19, he said, he said, why do you call me good? Why do you think you're good and equal with me? You see, the enemy with his thoughts, okay, with his thoughts that aren't of God, wants, tries to counsel us that somehow we're equal with what we think who we should show good to and who we should not. And the, the equal to that is God himself. And he's made every one of us in the body of Christ to be equal. Equal in terms of all of our, our failures, which we're not, but equal in Christ in the purity of who, who he's made us to be. So, again, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He delivered us by the washing of regeneration. This is when we receive Christ. And renewing, giving us, renewing the Holy Spirit, which he shed, which he poured out on us, and that's the better translation, on us richly and abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified, cleared of all guilt, and we see what we were cleared from. We see what we were cleared from. All foolishness, disobedience, deception, all these lusts and pleasures and malice and envy and hateful and hating one another, we have been cleared. We had that being justified, cleared from all that guilt and condemnation. It was by his grace. We should be made heirs according to the hope. Again, that hope is Colossians 1 and verse 27. We see that clearly. The hope of eternal life. You see this? And that's why it says this. And this is what brings out the teaching here, the teaching that we, that many don't understand. And, and of course, we're learning to grow in, in this understanding by God's grace. But that's why even by the time we get to James, the second chapter, when we get into James, the second chapter, we see this in verse 17. There's three places where it says this. And this is in James 2 and verse 17. Even so, faith, and what is faith again? It's depending upon the grace and truth that Christ has accomplished us apart from anything in the self-life. So even faith dependence, if it doesn't have works, is dead being what? Being alone or by itself. And what are we by ourselves without our will being submitted? We can declare that we depend on him. We can declare that, but what will be the proof of it? The works, and are the works the fleshly works? 
like covenant theology will teach? Or those that believe in lordship salvation, is that what that's teaching? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone? Well, verse 8, and we'll explain that because we, God will give us the counsel, all of us this morning. Yea, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your, without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What is all this saying? You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. They can declare it, but they don't have the life. But will you know, O vain man, and a vain man is one who declares that he has faith, but he doesn't have the works of Christ flowing in his experience. That faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Yeah. Yeah. See you how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed, put to his account, the very righteousness of Christ. This brings in the truth of the teaching and the doctrine of imputation. Imputation here simply means that the moment that I received Christ, the moment that I received that all of my sins, and we read them, and, and we, we saw them in Titus, the third chapter, we read all those things that we were. All those sins were put, imputed, logizomai, an accountant's term, were imputed or decreed or put to the account of Christ on Calvary. And when I received that, he put to my account all his perfect righteousness. <laughs> Just incredible. And this is what it's teaching here the doctrine of imputation. It was imputed or put to him for his account the very righteousness of Christ, and he was called at that point the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Well, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot. We see this teaching again, this teaching brought out, and we see that, in, in, we see it clearly in, in the scriptures in the Old Covenant, how that Rahab the harlot justif was justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. We see that clearly. For as the body without the spirit or breath or without life is dead, so faith without works is dead also. How do we understand this? How should we understand all this? And the, and. And what keeps us from thinking that this is somehow works that I have to accomplish to prove that I'm depending on him, which it's not. Again, that's covenant theology. That's lordship salvation. That teaches that Jesus did all this. Now you have to do this. When what could we do without him in John 15, 1 through 5? Nothing. Did he finish all the works? Did he leave one thing undone in John 19, verse 30? If he didn't, if he left one thing undone in Acts 17 and verse 31, would he have, would he have ever 
been risen from the dead, if he was in place of us to propitiate the Father, if there was one thing left undone, would God then have raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand? Never would have. That's our position. We're in him. And this explains clearly these truths in the Bible. So how do I understand James 2, 17, 20, and 26 with Titus 3, 5, with Romans 5, 1, and 2, and with Romans 14, 22, and 23, with this counsel that God has given us, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ, the Scriptures, and begins to counsel us and show them to us, all of us. How should I understand that? And now we turn to Philippians, the second chapter. And this is what brings the clarity out to us so beautifully. He's not wanting us to do. You see, that's the picture in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, when Martha, who is born again, and he's teaching this beautifully to us. See, he's teaching us the beauty. So Martha is in the kitchen serving, trying to serve God in her flesh, trying to serve him, to do her best in the flesh. You see, that's what covenant theology and Lordship Salvation teaches. You Now Jesus did his best, now you have to do your best. When the book of Hebrews makes it clear, the epistle of Hebrews, that all our better is in Christ. He's the best, he's did it. He did what we could never do and finished it for us. So he makes it crystal clear by that teaching, even in Luke 10, 38 to 42, where... Did Martha love Jesus? Yes, but she was making more of her love for him than his love for her. (laughs) And where was Mary? She was sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving her dependence and the works of Christ that were flowing in her that he had finished for her. And she wasn't doing anything but receiving. That's a position of grace. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. She was sitting at Jesus' feet so that all the works would flow from the only source where they flow from. They would flow in her. And that's why he said, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. Where are we troubled about many things? When the enemy tries to convince us that we have to do something because we did this or we didn't do this. When the work is finished, Christ finished it. How many believers end up being irritated, suspicious, and overwhelmed and living in fear because they're trying to do something that only Christ finished. They're trying to do it. They're trying to be a good boy. They're trying to be a good girl, man or a woman. Trying when it's already finished. That's what believers can be like in their experience because the reality was, was that Martha's true position? No. But was that what she was experiencing? And there was what? Distance. There was distance. And in her irritation, in her irritation in the flesh, she was expressing it to Christ. And literally through that expression, saying, I want you, Christ, with your authority, to cause her to leave the place where she's receiving the word and come and serve with me in my irritation. Oh, boy. No irritation in grace. 
Again, there's never any irritation in grace. If there is in any of us, God is showing us that, okay? that he's showing us that we're not receiving what Christ finished through grace alone. And we've left the place of receiving. And when we do that, we leave, in Revelation 2, verse 4, we leave our first love. We leave it. We leave being loved by God. And now we have to do something to earn that love back. Could we ever have done that? It's only one that did. So Philippians chapter 2 says this, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. That's our position. To write the same things to you indeed is not grievous. To me, it's not grievous. To have to preach these things constantly, it's not grievous. Because we constantly need our minds renewed in Ephesians 4 and verse 23 and bringing out Romans 12, 1 and 2. We constantly need that. It's not grievous. But for you, it's safe. It's your means, your only means, and my only means of security and safety and satisfaction. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. They're like dogs. They want to consume you. In, in Galatians 6 and verse 12, they want to consume you and use your flesh to elevate themselves above you, above Christ, above the finished work. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, the circ- those that's, that uh, enter into the fleshly circumcision, but without its experiential and positional reality. Verse 3 of Philippians 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. We've been circumcision, speaks of separation. We've been separated from the flesh. And it wasn't due to any merit or anything that we did. It was all that Christ did it in his love for us. That pours him, that love only pours through grace to us. That's why it's so necessary for us to constantly receive it and to be obedient and to constantly submit and to not let any other thought to enter into our mind to cause the distance and the, the resistance to what is ours in Christ. And so it says here again, we, for we are the circumcision which worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh, no works. Though I, Paul says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, <laughs> if any other man thinks that he has whereof where he makes, uh, that he might trust in the Lord either more. So back to Philippians chapter 2. That was Philippians 3, 1 through uh, 4. But here, Philippians 2 verse 5 says this. Well, look at it. Let's, let's start in verse 1. It says, if there be any consolation in Christ. If, if we're in Christ, is there? This is the first class fulfilled condition of that little word if. Remember the word if. In our English, if means it may or may not be. But in the Greek, the language that the Holy Spirit chose to record the word of God, the Koine Greek, he made it very clear there are four classifications of that one little word if. So in any context, that word if has a meaning. There are four classifications. The first, if and there is. Second, if and there isn't. Third, if and there may or may not be. And four, if it's possible, it's probable, but not, but highly likely impossible. Those are the four. 
So when we read this and just read translations or just read devotionals and we don't have specific teaching, things can happen to us. So it says, if and there is, because there is plenty of consolation in Christ. And if any comfort of love, is there? And there is. If any bowels and mercies, affection, loving kindnesses that we experience, if and there is, based upon Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, we do have a high priest. Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord. Our very being is that we're equal and one with each other. We read that, our being, in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. See, that's the flesh trying to work and do things for God. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Boy, the hurt that we would hurt each other with, if we made more of Christ in that individual, even when they hurt us, that hurt wouldn't even bother us. We would be so minded of Christ. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things. You see, that's what the enemy will cause us to do in our relationship to God and our relationship to each other. He will cause us to look on our own things, our own life, our own struggles, our own what we're going through. I mean, isn't what we go through for the benefit of all in the local assembly, in the body of Christ? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be you new, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God himself in deity, didn't consider his deity and the fact that he was equal with God to be something that he had, he had to constantly manifest but he laid aside that outward manifestation. And what did he do? He made himself of no reputation. You see, what do we have in the flesh? We have these reputations. We have reputations. He, God himself in Christ had no reputation. God help us. Made himself of no reputation. Boy, if I didn't have one, you think, you think I could get hurt so easily? I could so easily be offended? None of us would made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Again, you will see this in, in John 13, 1 through 10. You will see it. He, he laid aside, he took off his robes, his outward manifestation in type of his deity, and he put a towel, a servant's towel, a slave's towel to serve us. What are we in our relationships to one another? He put on the form of a servant, he put on humanity, and was made in the what? In the likeness, the habit. See, he wasn't made like us in a sin nature because he had no sin nature in Luke 1, verse 35. He had no sin nature in Hebrews 4, verse 15. He had a human nature. In that human nature, the, where it says here, he was made likeness, likeness here in in. Philippians 2, verse 7, likeness here meant that he had a human nature and lived in habit just like you. He had to get up every morning. He was tired. He was hungry. He had to work. He had to do things necessarily he may not felt like, but it didn't stop him from doing it instantly. 
<laughs> so he knows what we go through. He felt pain, physical. He felt physical pain more than any other human being ever has felt. And he did it to identify with us. And this is what brings in the beauty of proper pain, the pain of serving him, the pain of suffering and allowing his sufferings to be in us now that he's absent. We, he, and that's based upon Colossians 1 and verse 24 and Philippians 2, uh, Philippians 1 and verse 29. It's, also, it's given unto us not only to believe and trust in him constantly, but to suffer in his place and to do it for his sake. Because if we suffer with him in pain, in, in, in 2 Timothy 2.12, we'll reign with him. But, but if we deny him, and make that pain something that's just all about ourselves and leave him out. He denies the fellowship that he deeply desires. That's not salvation. It's the fellowship that he desires with us. And we reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy. Pain, right pain, right suffering, not even worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us and all around us for all eternity. And being found and fashioned, fashioned as a man, he humbled himself. <laughs> God and humanity humbled himself because he was a creation of God. And as a creature in that sense, a creation of God in Luke 1 verse 35, the Holy Spirit formed his humanity in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl. And the sin nature was not passed on in Romans 5.12. But he had a, a sin nature wasn't passed on, but a human nature he was made. And as a creature, he had to humble himself. And is that what we struggle with? How God wants to humble us? Because it's the only way he can give us grace to bless us? In First Peter 5, 6 and James 4, verse 6 through 10, to experience our value in 4, 10 of James, the value that Christ is in us, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient <laughs> unto death, even, even the death of the cross. Study the cross. The Romans. Crucifixion was one of the most painful and long and painful deaths that you could even imagine. And never mind the beatings that he took and the six different trials, and the pressure of crushing him to the point where in Luke twenty-two forty-four in the garden, he was sweating drops of blood. It was so intense on him. He knows suffering and pain. Believe me. Believe him, and I'll believe him with you. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of that, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name, Boy, boy, you know, when we have a reputation, we have a name, and you better not offend it. But has given him a name which is above every single name. We see this clearly in Isaiah 45 and verse 23, that at the name of Jesus in 2.10, every knee is going to bow. Things in heaven, us in our position. Things on the earth, millennial reign for all eternity. And things under the earth where hell was and will be cast into the lake of fire. The name is mentioned, every knee will bow. Some will bow in hatred and in pain, wrong pain, the pain of their sins still being on them based upon Revelations 20, 10 to 15. But they have to bow. 
They have to bow. We do it in the most intense, intimate love. That at the name that at the name of Jesus, every knee, in the name of Jesus, his person and the work that he's that he alone accomplished. Every everyone's going to bow. In verse eleven, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Should we confess that? Do we make is that something we make him or something that we confess that he is? in our lives, through just receiving him and the work that he's finished. You see, this does away with lordship salvation. You don't make him anything. He was everything before, before we could do nothing. And that, at, that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we're going to explain, and this is God going to explain to us, James 2, 17, 20, and 26, with Romans 5, 1 and 2, with Romans 14, 22 and 23. And God's going to explain it to us like only he can. And here it is. Wherefore, because of this, my beloved, who are we? Are we our own? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, thank God we're not. Oh, thank God we're not our own anymore. And I'm thankful with you. And, and uh, I love, his love for me has caused my love for him. And his love in me has caused my love for everyone, for each of you. And I'm growing in it. And we're growing in that love for each other, aren't we? As we grow in the love that's in us. Personally first, right? Wherefore, my beloved, you're accepted in my beloved in Ephesians 1, 6. As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Listen to what it says. Work out. See? Work. Work. We're going to explain that. All those scriptures. The Holy Spirit's explaining it to us in a brand new way this morning. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. Why? For it is God which works in you. <laughs> he's working in you. But Christ has worked out about you and me. But he's doing it individually. For it is God which works in you, both to will. Do you see what makes it so necessary to constantly submit our will and faith dependence? Both to will and to do, allow the doing of his finished works in you, his good pleasure. And that's what pleased the Father to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him in Isaiah 53 and verse 10. It pleased him to bruise him on Calvary, to crush him and bruise him. It's his, to do his good pleasure. And who's the only one that ever pleased him? Matthew 3 and verse 17. Matthew 17 and verse 5. This is my beloved son in whom is all my pleasure. I'm well pleased. Hear him. Submit to him in obedience and allow the work that he has accomplished for you to work in you. And this explains all of those. And only God can do that as we submit to him and become entreatable and teachable and allow him to humble us and bring us to a place where we need to receive what we can't figure out ourselves apart from him. And that's why we'll do in 2.14 all things without murmurings. That's thought life inside, murmuring murmuring in the flesh, irritation, submission, a lack of forgiveness. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. 
then disputings. See, the thoughts that we get, we start entertaining as believers when they're not of God and they're not dealt with, certainly then someone else is going to hear them. We're going to verbalize them. One is thought life, murmurings under our breath. It's communication in his presence. Then, when it's not dealt with through the will being submitted in humility and obedience, then what? Then someone else has to hear it. All my discontent. That's disputings. They enter in disputings. But it was a thought life that was disputing with God. It was a lack of trust in Proverbs 3, 5. That you may be what? Blameless. Blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, world system, among whom you should shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Is that Christ in the individual, the treasure that's in the vessel in 2 Corinthians 4, 7? That I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see, we, we, we are these lights. We are these lights, and we're to reflect through learning and through, through receiving and through discipline and through loving chastisement to allow that light, the treasure that that light is, to shine in us and through that vessel so that when people see us, who do they see? They see it. They're only going to see one or two things. We're only going to reveal each, to each other, and this starts right in the local assembly. You're either going to see one or two things. I'm going to show you the flesh or Christ. That's my option. <laughs> and God forbid there is any. There isn't. Oh, God. The only other option for the believer is the flesh. And we know what the flesh is. We know what the flesh is. It's strong, settled feelings of hatred toward God and toward those that are his. That's the flesh that's in us that we're not of. And when we function in the flesh, we start functioning in works that can't be accomplished because Christ did and is where we get irritated we, we enter into, uh, into suspicion and we enter into uh, uh, the pride of unforgiveness. But thank God, are we those things in his sight? Never. That's why he's constantly separating through the counsel of the word in Hebrews 4.12, separating us from self-living, self-conscious living, self. Everything is about self. And if everything isn't just right for me, something has to change. When God has us there to cause the change to enter into us, which is our position. But if something's in my experience that's of the flesh, does that keep out proper position? Does that keep out Christ from reigning in me? My experience. And thank God, he never removes his eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7 because Christ is our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He is the measure of our righteousness in the sight of God. And we are we are in Deuteronomy 32.10 and Psalm 17 and verse 8. In Zechariah 2 verse 8, we're the apple of his eye. We're that little man in Christ in the center of God's eye towards us. And he's given us everything in his son. He hasn't held back a thing. Should we hold back our will from submitting to him and entering into a peaceful, beautiful worship of him? And we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be thankful for so we can thank him. Listen, we can thank him for, for all things in Ephesians 5.20. And if we're not, we know it's the flesh. 
and it's not who we are. It's bad behavior. It's disobedient. It's everything's about self and any of us in the flesh. But we can be thankful for all things in Ephesians 5.20. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, in all things. We can be thankful in all things. And a thankful spirit is a worshipful spirit that's worshiping Christ and not self. We're free. So for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free from the works of the flesh to experience the, the finished work of Christ in us on a continual basis. So thank God, and we don't want to lose that freedom through the flesh in Galatians 5, went through all the way through to the end of that chapter. So Father, thank you this morning for your, your precious word, for everything that you've given us in Christ. You have not held back one single thing. Oh God, teach us not to hold back. You will supply our need. You will take care of us. Well, of course, of course, Father, we're going to trust you. Because if we, just, if we begin to just trust in circumstances and situations, it's going to be all these material things that we think we lack. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be, Father. And so thank God for the truth of this. Thank God for the truth, Father. And 3 John 2, Beloved, and that's who we are in Christ, I pray, I truly pray, above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. And if my soul isn't prospering, then material things become the things that I worship. But I have, in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And when you and I walk in truth, the truth that Christ is in us, we'll trust him for every single detail. And that starts with prayer in Matthew 6, 1 through 7, all the way through to the 34th verse. And prayer, dependence, getting his thoughts, his counsel, keeps us the anxiety of the details of life from interrupting my intimacy with you, Lord. And thank you and praise you. Thank you, Lord, for your, your deep loving kindness in Jesus' name. Amen.